Well, well, good morning, everybody. It's, it's great to see you. It's great to worship together with you and uh, getting back into the groove. I, I don't know about you, but I was personally happy that this morning was not a holiday. It's, it's been two weeks of just weird, of trying to get up in the morning and figure out what are we doing. And uh, thanks to everybody that uh, came out last week on New Year's Day. In, in the middle of service last week, I was thinking, man, maybe we should have moved it back to 11 or 12 or something like that. Because it, it felt early. It was the same time we meet every week, but it sure felt like, oh, man, it's way early. So uh, if, if you can stay and help today to put away all the Christmas decorations, that would be amazing. Uh, there's all kinds of stuff happening in January, so I hope you were paying attention during the video and uh, got a bulletin. If you missed the monthly bulletin, there are some in the foyer that you can get and be aware of what's going on. Uh, my friend, Pastor Bob Sobel, is going to be with us later this month, and I'm just, I'm plugging it now, even though we haven't had it in the news. Uh, Bob carries just an amazing ministry of, of healing on him. Uh, God shows up and does uh, an amazing, astounding things of healing people's bodies and setting them free from sickness and disease. So if you know anybody that could use a touch like that, um, start inviting them now to come later this month with you. We're going to have a Saturday night service here, and then he's actually going to be with us both services on Sunday uh, later this month, the 28th and 29th, so last Sunday of January. So uh, that's that's what's coming down the pike. And also, uh, I want I want you to remember this or write it down or do something with it. Uh, but in February, I'm going to start preaching a series on what I believe God is speaking to our church for 2017. And the, the word I've been feeling like he's really speaking to new life this year is fulfilled. So I want you to, to remember that, write down, start praying about it. What does that mean in your life? What do you think God's speaking to you about that? And uh, I'm going to do a few messages on what I think it means specifically to New Life Fellowship and what he's speaking about for 2017. So that'll, that'll be coming in February. But uh, first, usually what I do in January is, is I do a couple weeks on money. So if you're one of those people that you think, man, I haven't gone to church in a long time because all those people ever do is talk about money, but, you know, it's a new year, I guess I'll give it a start. God's speaking this message just for you. <laughs> you ever, does anybody know people like that? They don't come to church because they think that's all they do is talk about money, that's all they speak about, that's all they preach about. Uh, how many of you know that Jesus talked a lot about money? I think we ought to be able to frequently talk about money in the church without it getting weird, without it getting uncomfortable, because Jesus talked about it a lot. About a, a third of his parables were dedicated, had something to do with finances, money, or wealth. Uh, if you read through the book of Luke, this is an amazing stat. If you read through the book of Luke, one out of every seven verses in the book of Luke has something to do with money, wealth, finances, treasure, something like that. Uh, so Jesus talked about it pretty frequently. And I feel like uh, the, the title for this series is going to be Keeping Money in Its Place. I know the, the screen says dollars and cents, keeping money in its place. How many of you know we get in big trouble when money gets out of place in our lives? When it becomes something it's not supposed to be to us, that's when it really wrecks us. And uh, since Jesus talked about money so much, I think it's okay if, if at least in January we do a couple weeks on money. And uh, the only thing, if, if you ever want to go back, this is a complete aside from today, but if you ever want to go back and study it, the only thing Jesus talked about more than money was the kingdom of God. 
Because he really wanted us to understand how the kingdom works and how it's supposed to function in our lives. But he also talked about money a lot because it's very important. It represents our blood, our sweat, our tears. Everybody needs it to to function in the world, to do uh, business with people, to put food on their table. And he knew it was really important and could get out of whack. So I think that's why he talked about it a lot so that we could keep it in its place and not let it rule over us. Uh, There are some people, I, I got a couple cartoons to show to you this morning. Go and put that one up there. There are some people that think churches work like this. You know, here's the pastor and the usher counting the offering. says, oh, only one dollar. Looks like it's time for that sermon on tithing again. Did you ever meet anybody that feels like that? They think, oh, the only time they talk about money in church is when the offering wasn't enough. You know, we, they, they're going to put a new roof on the building next year. He better preach on tithing so we get people motivated to give money. Some people think that that's the way it works in church. That's not the way it works. That's not the way Jesus did it. He, he didn't talk about money all the time so that people would give more to his ministry. He talked about money so much so that we would keep it in the right order and the right priority in our life. Uh, here's another one. Maybe you've seen people that believe this is is what happens in church. You get preferential treatment. These two guys are stranded on a desert island. He says, I'm afraid no one will ever find us. And the second guy says, don't worry. I give $100,000 a year to my church. My pastor will find us. Come on. Sometimes we think that's the way churches work, that, that people get preferential treatment based on how much they give. I, I would love to tell you that I know how much people give, but I don't. So if you're stranded on a desert island, you're going to have to call somebody else. I hope you get good cell phone reception. But that's that's not the way things work in church. In fact, uh, James got on uh, some of the people in church. He was like, hey, you give the best seat in the house to the people that look rich. And that's not what God does. He doesn't look on the outside like that. He looks at what's going on in our hearts. So so both of those things are out of balance. And we need to figure out how do we keep money in our place, in its place, without it ruling over us, without it being our master. Uh, Jesus made this amazing statement in Matthew chapter 6. He says, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Isn't that an amazing statement? There wasn't anything else in his teachings in the Gospels that Jesus went out of his way to contrast with God in this manner. He says, man, this this is how much money creeps into our lives is it actually buys for first place. It wants to be the boss. It wants to be the master. And it will actually compete to take the place of God. And Jesus said those serving God and serving money are mutually exclusive. They, they cannot coexist in our life. And if we actually let money become our master, Jesus says it will cause you to despise God. Did you ever think about that? What, what else in our life is there that would make us look at God, the one that saved us, the one that loves us, the one we were singing about him this morning? He's so good. He's so awesome. What else in life would cause you to look at him and say, Ugh, I don't want to be around you right now. In fact, I, I hate being in your house. I hate hearing about you. It says, if money becomes your master, that's what will happen in our lives. It says, we'll begin to despise one and love the other. That's an amazing verse because it came in the middle of a passage. Uh, Jesus was talking about how you fast and how you pray and how you give. And, and then he talks about what you worry about in life. And right in the middle of that passage, he makes that statement about you can't serve God and money. And I think he's basically saying in that whole chapter 6, if you go back and read it, he's saying, I can watch what you're doing. I can watch how you're doing it and what you're concerned or worried about, and I can tell just from watching who you're serving and who your master is. And right in the middle of that, he says, you can't serve God and money. 
They can't coexist in our life. If we let money master us, we begin to despise God. And uh, as, as we're going along talking about money this morning, just so nobody gets weird or antsy about it, I, I always like when I talk about money to just to go back briefly and touch what we believe about giving it new life. Just, just to convince you that I'm, I'm not doing this sermon just to shake out your pocketbooks or your, or your wallets, okay? Uh, so uh, what we believe about giving it new life uh, is basically in 2 Corinthians 9, chapter, uh, chapter 9, verse 6 and 7, it says this, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man, everybody say that means me. Come on, even though, it's, even though it says each man, it's not gender specific. That means men, women, whoever's sitting here in the room today, each man, it says, should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. There is something about generosity, there's something about giving that God likes. And he especially has a heart for the poor and the needy and the broken, and us taking care of them. The people that have resources, using our resources to care for those people. He loves generosity and wants to develop it in our life. When we come to church, there, there is no longer an obligation to give. Where, where it's like, oh, I'm, I'm giving because I'm, I don't want to be cursed in my life. How many of you have ever heard of a pastor do a sermon out of Malachi? Where he stands up and says, you're robbing God. And you, know, you read the verses there. They ask, well, how are we robbing God? He says, in tithes and offerings, you're under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you're not giving your tithe. How many of you know that Galatians 3 says that Jesus came to set us free from the curse? Says, it says he actually hung on a tree. And it says everyone that is, hangs on a tree is cursed. It says he did that to remove the curse from our lives. There, there is no longer this, this curse hanging over your head. If I don't tithe, if I don't get my 10%, come on. You ever know anybody that they, they give an amount in church like, oh, $42.39. Because that's exactly 10% of what I made this week. He's looking at our heart. And wanting us to be generous, not that number. And the reason we still talk about tithing in churches is because he took away the curse, but he never did anything to get rid of the blessings that were associated with tithing. If you read that whole passage in Malachi, the the blessings were much greater than the curses they were under. He says, I'm going to throw open the windows of heaven and pour out so much in your life you can't contain it. Jesus got rid of the curse, but he still lets the blessings flow. And that's part of why, personally, we tithe in our family because we want to see the blessings of God flow in our lives. And we look for places to be generous. We look for places to give because we want to see those blessings flow because we're excited to be generous people, not because we're afraid God's sitting up there with a stick that if I don't give exactly 10%, he's going to whack me or cause my car to break down or my house to catch on fire or need repairs. Come on, that, that, God doesn't operate in fear like that. But he still wants us to be generous because of what it does and what flows in our lives. And as we're reading that verse in 2 Corinthians, I believe that is the New Testament standard for giving. Each man should give what you've decided in your heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. If we're passing the offering plate and and the usher comes by and you're holding on to your offering and he's trying to get it out of your hand like that, just keep it. God, God doesn't want us to give that way. It, it shouldn't be this, oh man, I can't believe I've got to give an offering again. Why do I keep doing an offering every week? I'm going to stop coming back to... 
We should be excited when it's an opportunity to give because it says God loves a cheerful giver. God loves people that come. You know, I love when, when Bill talks about taking the offering and he says, hey, we're going to continue to worship now through our giving. That is what the offering time should be. It is not, oh, I'm paying my protection money. It's, it's the spiritual shakedown. You know, God's, God's here. You know, if you don't do this, this is what we're going to send the ushers to your house. That's not what it's about. It's a chance to keep worshiping and to recognize, God, you gave me and blessed me with all this stuff. And I get to recognize that you gave it to me by, by putting a portion of it back in the plate. There should be some cheerfulness associated with our generosity. And bagpipes. And there should be bagpipes associated with our worship. Man... I got a, I got a shop for ringtones where Bud shops for ringtones. And he had the most awesome Christmas music the one week and the bagpipes. If anybody plays bagpipes, talk to, talk to Dylan about getting on the worship team. And, and he may say, no, leave. <laughs> oh. But that is it. I, I believe that is, that is the New Testament standard for giving because it's not out of obligation anymore. It's an act of worship that I get to come in the freedom that he's given me. And, and it really is. Uh, he even says in the verse before that, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. New Testament giving is not out of obligation. It is a matter of sowing and reaping. I, I want to be a generous person so that I will be refreshed and see God's blessings flow in my life. And... and Come on, you can get out of whack on that too. Please, please don't give with this expectation attached to God. Well, it's, it's sowing and reaping, so I need $100 for my electric bill this month, so I'm going to put $10 in and believe for 100 full bl- Don't give that way either. It, it should be, man, this is exciting. God, we, we love you and we love helping people. We love telling people about you. We're going to give so that your work can go on. If you believe in what happens here, you'll give. That's, that's what, the way I look at it. If you've been around for new life for any length of time, uh, one of our things that we do here, part of our mission, is that we help people encounter Jesus. We, we help people meet him and develop a relationship with him so that their lives can be full and blessed. And if you see that happening and you believe that's important, you'll give. And I, I won't have to stand up every week and twist your arm and say, oh, let's, let's get out. I'll show you the bills so we can see what needs to be done and guilt you into giving. We just give because we believe in what God's doing. So that's, that's my commercial on what we believe about giving and, and not getting weird about it. It is to see Jesus made famous in this region. And uh, today is the next couple of weeks. I just want to talk about keeping money in its place and how do we manage that relationship well. We are commanded to be people that love. How many of you have ever experienced that? We, we are to be lovers. Not, don't take that the wrong way. That, that could get really awkward really fast. We are to be people that love people. And it is part of who we are. It's who we are created to be. We are created to love him and to be loved by him. We are created to love the people around us in the church. And that is just part of our makeup. But God created us to love him and people, not stuff. And that's where money gets out of whack in our life because money is stuff. If, if you've ever wondered about it, money, money doesn't fall into the God or people category. It falls into the stuff category. It is a tool to be used. It is just something that we have in our lives, but it's not to take the place of people or God. If you've, if you've ever met people that, that have had 
money as a god in their life, it is almost the personification of a relationship. They, they treat money like it's a valuable relationship, like it's their spouse or like it's their master. And that's not where it's supposed to be. Money is stuff. And we're not supposed to love it. It's just an inanimate object. It's a tool that we can use. But it's sometimes, if we're not careful, it creeps into our life. And, and we let this love for money develop. Uh, and it usually creeps in. If, if you've ever had an experience where you've had to deal with the love of money in your life, how many of you know uh, in Tim- Timothy, Paul tells Timothy, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Come on, some, some people misquote that verse. They say money is the root of all evil. It's not. Money is not the root of all evil. The love of money is the root of all evil. And it creeps in. And it says in, in Timothy, it even goes on in that verse, it says many people eager to get money have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. How many of you want to sign up for that? Hey, we're going to have, go, go to the Connect Center if you want to sign up to be pierced with many griefs. Now, that doesn't sound fun at all to me, but that's what happens if we let the love of money creep into our life. And what happens, the love of money, usually where it comes in, where it tries to weasel its way into our lives, is it, it tries to replace God or people. It, it tries to, to muscle in on our love for God or our love for people. And we have to be on guard against that. Uh, in Mark chapter 12, this is what Jesus told the disciples when, when somebody asked them, what's the greatest commandments? Uh, Jesus said this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. If Jesus says there's no commandment greater than doing these things, where do you think the enemy would try to get into your life? Try to get you not to do those commandments that Jesus said, this is the most important thing. Love God and love people. Well, all of a sudden the devil says, well, I know how attractive money is. I'll just dangle that out in front of people and that'll, that'll cause them to break those commandments. That'll cause them to get off track in their life. And so he comes and he attacks our love for God and our love for people. And it's subtle at first. If you watch this, I, I believe there really is a progression in that verse that we see where he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and with all your strength. And uh, watch how this works because it's subtle. And we're talking about loving money and how it creeps into our lives, but it works with any other relationship, with any other thing, with any stuff that gets in there. His first thing he mentions is our heart. And Jesus often talked about our heart, talked about our treasure, and he linked those things together, didn't he? He said, where your heart is, what will be there also? Your treasure is there also. They end up in the same place. Your treasure and your heart end up. So we have to be very careful about what we treasure. And he's, I, I, really, I really believe this, that if God has your heart, he most often has your money also. Doesn't he? If he has your heart, he has everything else about you. If, if, if he is the object of our desire and our affection, all that other stuff is just secondary. And that's where it starts. It says it starts with the heart. It starts with our affections. Uh, and I think what happens when, when, we, when we see this, I put a, the picture on the screen there. That's a little seed. I think it comes in seed form. Something catches our eye. We like how it makes us feel. Oh, I, I feel secure. I feel safe. I feel validated. Look, I've got this money. I've got this stuff. And it comes in seed form because it comes into our heart and it it grabs our affections first and it's very subtle sometimes we don't even realize it's happening but all of a sudden it's like oh i want to want to i've got this idea planted this seed planted i want to be around the stuff that makes me feel good it's another complete aside but i think everything in life comes in seed form and you get to decide you get to decide whether to plant it or not 
The blessings from God, the, the evil from outside, it all comes in seed form, and we get to decide what to do with it. Are we going to nurture it or are we going to plant it? I think that's what happens. It starts with our affections. Something catches our eye, and it gets a little foothold in our heart. Just the same way the seed goes into the soil. It doesn't even need much dirt, but it gets a foothold in there, and it begins to grow. And that's what happens when, when the love of money creeps into our heart. And when it begins to capture our affections, it moves into our soul. Because that's the next thing he listed in that verse. He said, love the Lord your God with your heart and your soul. And, and for sake of argument this morning, I'm just going to say that our soul is that part of our being that, that sets our priorities and decides what's important in our life and, and orders our life, the decision-maker part. And I think that's what happens. Once, once money, the love of money captures your affection in your heart, it moves into your soul. It becomes a, a filter that I look at all my priorities through. There are a lot of things on our list, whether we articulate it or not. But that's when, when money captures our affections, it starts to float up to the top of the priority list. This is what's most important to me, and this is how I'm going to run all my decisions through this, and this is what I'm going to run after. And so it gets into our soul, and if, if, if our affections, if our heart is planting a seed with the love of money, the soul is where it starts to put down roots. It begins to grow and, and wrap itself around every, every aspect of our being and the way we make decisions. And uh, I think once, once money becomes a priority and puts down roots, then the love of money takes over our mind. Because that's the next thing Jesus mentions in that passage. He says, your heart, your soul, your mind. So, so after it becomes a priority, what do you do? If, if the love of money creeps into your mind, you sit around and think about it all day. How am I going to get it? How am I going to keep it? How am I going to protect it from you? How am I going to make sure that I get more than you? Come on, we start making these plans and we think about it and it occupies our thoughts. And, and this is where, you know, you go back to that verse where Jesus said you can't serve God and money. Where are our thoughts supposed to be? We're supposed to have our minds fixed on Jesus. We're supposed to have our eyes fixed on the unseen realm. These things should dominate our thoughts, but when the love of money creeps in, the next thing you know, it's put down roots, and it gets in our mind. We think about it all the time, and if, if, if our affection is a seed, if our soul is where it puts down roots, our mind is where it begins to grow. It begins to blossom. Stuff breaks through the soil, and you can see the effects of it. And the next thing you know, we're thinking about it constantly. That's a dangerous place to be in, where, where we've, we're so dominated by the love of money that it occupies our thoughts all the time. And when it starts to grow in our mind, the next thing you know is we give it our strength. And that's where it begins to produce fruit. We, we think about it all the time, and the next thing you know, <clears throat> come on, what, what you think about all the time comes out in your actions, doesn't it? Is, you, you, you can tell what somebody's thinking most of the time if you follow them around all day and watch what they do. And so if we think about money all the time, the love of money has infiltrated our thoughts and our mind. The next thing you know, I've given my strength to it. I try to figure out, like, okay, I'm, I'm going to begin to step on other people so that I can get more of it. I'm going to begin to let it occupy. My family might suffer, but I'm going to work that job 80 hours a week. Come on. These things happen. It comes out in our strength. It manifests in what we do. But that's not where it started. It started as a seed in our affections. And then we took it in, we let it put down roots, we started to think about it all the time, and then it comes out in our actions. And when we get to that place, it's, it's rough to be around somebody that has let the love of money get all the way to that point where they've given it their strength. Because, because we begin, if, if the love of money has gotten to that point, we treat people as commodities. What can I get out of you? That's the only thing I value this relationship for. We begin to to spend ourselves on things that don't enhance our relationship with God. 
And the love of money, we, we see the effect of that verse where Jesus said, you'll begin to love one and despise the other. And that's what happens when the love of money gets to the point where we give it our strength. When, when, when it begins to bear fruit in our lives and we see the bad effects of it. We, we spend our time and energy. Hopefully most people in this room, the love of money doesn't ever get to the point of doing anything illegal. You know, mo- most people I know that go to church, the way the love of money manifests is, is I just, I can't come to church anymore. My family suffers. I, I'm a workaholic. Uh, but there is a place where you get to the love of money will even make you do things that are illegal. And you, you may find people that the jails are filled with people that, hey, why did you do that? Well, I needed more money. I didn't have money. I had to get some. I didn't know how to do it other than I did this. And next thing you know, my, my ethics lapsed. Or, or I did things that, that were ungodly or sinful or illegal and they caught me. And it all started with a seed that came in our affections. And I think that the answer is cutting off that process before it starts. Keeping our affections on him. Here's, here's an encouragement from the writer of Hebrews. Uh, in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, he says, Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. And we already mentioned, Paul told Timothy, hey, the love of money, you want to keep it out of your life because it's a root of all kinds of evil. It will cause you to do some crazy things. And the, writers, the writer of Hebrews is giving us that same command. He's saying, you have a part to play in doing this. Keep your lives free from the love of money. Okay, why, why would he tell people to do that if this was something that, you know, God just supernaturally comes down and says, okay, Michael, you no longer have the love of money in you. I've, I've supernaturally done it and I've delivered you from it. I think the, writers, the writer of Hebrews is saying, you've got a part to play in this. We need, we need to be on guard of what we let come into us. There is, gosh, too many things are popping in my head right now. In, in that passage in Matthew chapter 6, uh, in the middle of Jesus talking about the, you can't serve two masters, you can't serve God and money. He makes this statement, where, he, and it seems so out of context, because he's obviously talking about money, and right in the middle of that passage, he says, hey, what you let in your eyes, if, if what's good comes in your eyes, then your whole body is filled with light, and everything you have is good. But if what, if what you let come in your eyes is darkness, then your whole body is corrupted, and how great is that darkness? And I always wondered about that because it's like, oh, you, you know, we think about, oh, what do we look at? What do we put in front of our eyes? But he's making that comment in the middle of a talk about money and not letting the love of money and not serving money as a master. He makes that. And I think that's part of it. We have a part to play in keeping our lives free from the love of money. And part of it is what am I focusing on? That, that verse in Hebrew says, be content with what you have. Has anybody else ever looked at stuff that other people have and they're like, man, look at that coat you got on this morning. I, I would look great if I had that furry stuff around the collar and I need to save, I need to get a coat like that. Come on. We, I mean, it's just, it may not be that obvious all the time. We may not tell everybody, we may not verbalize it, but we do it sometimes. And I think that ties back to what we put in front of our eyes. Because we begin to look and say, man, if, if only I could keep up with the Joneses. <laughs> if only I had what they have. And how can I get that? And the next thing you know, the love of money has crept in. And, and Hebrews says, you can be in charge of what comes into your life. Keep your lives free from the love of money. He doesn't say, you know, 
Call your accountability partner, although that might help you. Call the pastor. Pastor, I, I really coveted my neighbor's car today. He says, keep your life free from the love of money. There is a part we have to play. We, we need to take some responsibility and ownership. Obviously, we need the Holy Spirit working in us. We can't do it in our own strength. But we have some say. If, if, come on. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm not a victim. I'm, I'm serious. Look at a different neighbor and say it like you mean it. I'm not a victim. Okay? No, I think that, if, if you want to know some things that I think are the matter with society and, and where we are today with, with young people, old people, or relationships, all these things, I think part of it is we've fostered this victim mentality of I don't have any responsibility for what's happening to me. It's, oh, life just came at me and whatever. Oh, that's why I'm in this place because life was hard. That's being a victim. And Scripture says we're not victims. We're the head and not the tail like Bill prayed this morning. We have responsibility for what happens in our lives. And the writer of Hebrews says you can keep your life free from the love of money. And it starts with being content with what I have. Lord, help me be content with what I have. It's It's okay to pray that. Lord, Lord, help me be content. God, I recognize that, that all the good stuff in my life came from you. The, the, the food I put on the table, my family, my grandkids, the house we're living in, the apartment we're living in, the, the dorm room if you're at school. You know, that, that's, God provided that for you. And there needs to be something about recognizing, God, you gave this to me. Help me be content and look at it in that way. One of, the, one of the most famous verses that we always quote all the time in Philippians, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Do you know what the context of that verse is? Paul just got done saying, I have learned the secret to be content, whether I'm abounding or I'm in lack. And he says the secret is this, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Jesus will help us develop that contentment in our life if we just lean back into him. Lord, help me see things the way that you see them, that they are blessings in my life, that they are things that I can rejoice in and be content in. The peace we experience, the joy we have, the relationships we have, we need to be content in those things. That, come on, that doesn't mean don't work hard, don't have goals, don't try to achieve things in life, don't, don't be better. Just don't let them become God in your life. Don't let it become such a priority that it drives you. Look at it as, Lord, you, you've given me these things and I'm going to continue to walk in the doors that you open. Stuff is just stuff. It's easy to say from the pulpit. It's hard to, hard to act out sometimes. Because how many of you have ever had a son or a daughter that wrecked a vehicle? Man, that's more hands than I thought were going to go up in the room. Hopefully, because I've, I've had that experience, <laughs> but I'm not going to share any of the details. You can ask her later. Um, and everybody looks <laughs> over at Heather. <laughs> Hopefully, when your son or daughter calls you and wrecks the car, the first thing out of your mouth is not, well, how's the car? Can I tell you that that is a sign of the love of money creeping into your life and messing up your priorities? Hopefully the first question was, are you okay? Because people are more important than stuff. The, the priorities God wants us to have are love Him first and love people, and stuff is stuff. 
And it's, like I said, it's, it's easy to say that from the pulpit, but it's hard to act it out sometimes, especially when it's stuff that you've paid for and you know how much it costs and you value it and other people may not value it the same way as you. But we need to say, Lord, help me be content. The, the, the being content goes hand in hand with keeping our lives from the love of money. And it's amazing to me in, in that verse that the reason we can be content is because he never leaves us. Or forsakes us. He has to be so tangible. Our relationship with Jesus has to be so tangible that I know, man, the stuff doesn't matter because you're here. And at the end of the day, that is really all that matters. You know, how over the centuries, how could Christians live in squalor, be persecuted, be killed for their faith and their belief? How could you do that stuff if you if you really cared about the stuff? Because they had come to a point where they knew he's with me. And whether they take all the stuff away or I have all the stuff you could ever ask for, the, the important thing is that he's never left me or forsaken me. And that's, that's part of where we need to be on guard is, Lord, let your relationship be that real to me that the love of money doesn't even have a place to plant a seed in my life. That my affections are so caught up in you, Lord, that there is no door open for the love of money ever. Let's go ahead and stand together for a minute. He's, he really does have your back. He's, he's got this. And as, as we enter into this new year, I want you to take the next couple weeks, as, as we're going to talk about money a little bit, I want you to take the next couple weeks just to evaluate your life and look for, God, show me if there's any signs where the love of money has crept into my life. If, if I've valued stuff more than people. And help us, Lord, help us, to develop contentment. Let us, let us be people that are satisfied because you're with us. And if, if you're really daring, I will, I will tell you that generosity will get rid of the love of money quicker than anything else in your life. If, you, if, you, if you're nervous about, man, I think I might be valuing money too much, start giving it away and see what happens. And, and I'm not saying just, you know, just give it to the church. You, know, you can give directly to others. And there is, very, there is a lot of satisfaction in that. You know, Scripture, Jesus even encouraged, he says, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. Just give. Give and give. Let's ask him that this morning. Father, help us to be people that are content because we know that you're with us. Help us to be people that, that value others and value you more than the stuff that we have. Lord, let us be a generous people, that our reputation would, would be one uh, that say, oh, man, those people at that church, they love people. They love others more than they love the stuff, more than they love money. <laughs> God, I thank you that when people come in contact with us, that you would even use our lives and our generosity to help fix uh, broken perceptions of you and your church where, where others have believed the lie of the enemy that, oh, churches are just about money and trying to get more. Lord, let our lives be ones that, that help heal that hurt in people. We just say that we are thankful and grateful, Lord. We, we look at our lives. Let us, let us be people that would look at our lives with an eye towards seeing the blessings and being thankful for it that we would be content with what we have, and that you would help us keep our lives free from the love of money. God, we just say that we love you and we honor you this morning. God, I ask as, as we leave this place today, let your goodness 
go with us everywhere that we go. Let your mercy follow after us, God. Let us feel and experience the radiance of your presence, the favor of your countenance being upon us, God. We just say that we glorify you and we honor you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.